just say a word of thanks to uh, those who are working the sound and doing, now they got the extra work of doing the, the live stream, uh, and, and they just have been working hard to learn all this stuff, so uh, thank you to Wayne and to Evan, is Evan here this morning? Evan's not here this morning, I know they were here yesterday doing some training, as well as um, Donnie, for those three plus Rick, Rick has been put in, putting in a lot of hours to learn all this so he can train the rest of the guys. So it's just such a blessing um, to have folks being willing to work behind the scenes and make all this happen uh, for us. So let me go ahead and, and pray, and then we're going to jump into our, our message today. Our gracious Father, we come before your presence in the mighty name of Jesus today, thanking you for incredible privilege it is. to gather as your people, either in person or virtually, to be together, experiencing what you want to do in us together through the, the songs that we sing up to you from our hearts and our lips, to giving attention to the prayers, the reading of Scripture and the, the Word as it's preached. Lord, we ask that today, as we begin this 21-day this, uh, journey, Lord, we anticipate that you're going to work in us. You're going to meet us as we earnestly seek your face through fasting and prayer. God, I have no idea what your plan is for this. But I know that you want to draw hearts to yourself. I know that you want to do a, a, a work, a deep and abiding work. Whatever that looks like in everyone's life. And so, Lord, we come to you with anticipation. And we ask today, as we look into your word, that you will guide us into all the truth. Thank you for hearing our prayers and for answering them in accord with your will. And we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. I came across this, uh, I, I guess, testimony, if you will, uh, that was sent into preachingtoday.com. I, I don't have an author uh, attached to it, but uh, I thought their, their words uh, about their own experience of, of fasting were... were, were um, Helpful in, in one sense. So here's what they, they write. I don't even know if it's a man or a woman. But they say, the spiritual disciplines are so easy that any adult human being can do them. There, there are no particular skills required to be alone, to be silent, or to abstain from food. Yet on the other hand, they are so difficult and so perfectly calibrated to reveal the true condition of our hearts that no one can succeed at them. Indeed, the secret of the classical spiritual disciplines and all disciplines that tame power is how reliably they waste, they lay waste to whatever sense we may have of ourselves as competent agents in this world. Take fasting and food, where I can offer a personal testimony to the humbling effect of the disciplines. My annual fast during the seasons of Advent and Lent are darkly comical reminders of how completely undisciplined I truly am in my relationship with food. No matter how minimal the fast I set out to practice, 
One land, it simply was leaving milk out of my teeth. I find that I am almost never able to keep it to the end. Among the most pitiful moments of my life was that day, about two weeks into Lent, when I desperately and furtively opened the refrigerator, fully aware that I was breaking the most minimal fast conceivable by feeling completely unable to go on without milk in my teeth. It was the sweetest and the bitterest cup of tea I have ever had. When we practice the spiritual disciplines, we discover how deep runs our commitment to our own autonomy and comfort and how addicted we are to the approval of others, the sound of our own voice, and the satisfaction of our own appetite. If you've chosen to take the challenge to go without something for 21 days, starting today, whether that, uh, whatever that fast may entail, maybe it's food, maybe it's something else, we need to know that we're entering into a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual battle. It will not be easy, but it will be worth it, especially if we spend that time that we are not doing that thing, earnestly seeking the face of God in prayer. Over the next three weeks, we're going to look at three model prayers in the Old Testament where we see individuals fasting and praying. And we have their prayer recorded for us. We have the circumstances that they were in given to us. The goal is to let these individuals mentor us in the discipline of prayer and fasting. The enemy does not want us to seek the face of God earnestly. He will try to discourage you. He will try to get you to give in to the appetite, whatever that might be, that thing that you've chosen to set aside. And here's the interesting thing about fasting. Most of the trials and tests that you and I walk through are chosen for us, right? God puts us through these things. This is our willful decision to enter into a trial and a test in our own life so that we might walk that journey in greater dependence upon God and allow Him to work His will, whatever those things we want to talk to Him about, work His will in and through our lives. And so it will be a battle. And so just know going in, this is a challenge. Keep asking God for the help uh, that, that He wants to give us as we walk this journey. Well, would you open your Bible with me, please, to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. 2 Chronicles is after 1 Chronicles, just, just to let you know that. Chapter 20 of 2 Chronicles. I'm going to read the entire chapter, which is, actually, I'm going to read through verse 30. That's what we're going to look at um, from 1 to 30 of 2 Chronicles 20. Verse 1, now it came about that after this, that the sons of Moab and the sons of Ammon, together with the sum of the Mayunites, came to make war against Jehoshaphat. Some came and reported to Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, out of Aram, 
And behold, they are in Hazazon Tamar, that is in Gedi. And Jehoshaphat was afraid and turned his attention to seek the Lord and, pro and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to seek help from the Lord. And they even came from all the cities of Judah to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new, new court. And he said, O Lord, the God of our fathers, art thou not God in the heavens? Art thou not ruler over all the kingdoms of the nations? Power and might are in thy hand, so that no one can stand against thee. Didst thou not, O our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel, and give it to the descendants of Abraham thy friend forever? And they lived in it, and have built thee a sanctuary there for thy name, saying, Should evil come upon us, the sword or judgment or pestilence or famine, we will stand before this house and before thee, for thy name is in this house, and cry to thee in our distress, and thou wilt hear and deliver us. And now behold, the sons of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom thou didst not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, they turned aside from them and did not destroy them. Behold, how they are rewarding us by coming up to drive us out from thy possession, which thou hast given us as an inheritance. O our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us, nor do we know what to do. But our eyes are on thee. And all Judah was standing before the Lord with their infants, their wives, and their children. Then in the midst of the assembly, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, the Levite of the sons of Asaph. And he said, Listen, all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, Do not fear or be dismayed because of this great multitude. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the valley in front of the wilderness of Jericho. You need not fight in this battle. Station yourselves. Stand and see the salvation of the Lord your God, of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem, do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out to face them, for the Lord is with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites from the sons of the Korahites and the, the sons of the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with a very loud voice. And they rose early in the morning and went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, O Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem. Put your trust in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Put your trust in his prophets and succeed. And when he had consulted with the people, and he appointed those who sang to the Lord, and those who praised him in holy attire, as they went out before the army and said, Give thanks to the Lord, for his loving kindness is everlasting. And when they began singing and praising... The Lord set ambushes against the sons of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir. 
they come out against Judah. So they were routed. For the sons of Ammon and Moab rose up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, destroying them completely. And when they had finished with the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. And when Judah came to the lookout of the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude, and behold, there were corpses lying on the ground, and no one had escaped. And when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, they found much among them, including goods, garments, valuable things, which they took for themselves, more than they could carry. And there were three days taking the spoil because there was so much. On the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Barakah. There they blessed the Lord. Therefore, they have named their pla that place the valley of Barakah until today. And every man of Judah and Jerusalem returned with Jehoshaphat at their head, returning to Jerusalem with joy. For the Lord had made them to rejoice over their enemies. And they came to Jerusalem with harps, lyres, and trumpets to the house of the Lord. And, and the dread of God was on all the kingdoms of the lands when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. And so the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace. For his God gave him rest on all sides. So as we take a look at this incident and this prayer and this time of fasting and seeking the Lord, I want to look at it in three stages. First of all, the prayer to God. What is entailed in this prayer that, that we see in verses 6 through 13? Well, what's the context? Let me, let me back up for a second. Jehoshaphat, of course, is the king of Judah, the southern kingdom. Prior to chapter 20, Jehoshaphat was, was uh, befriended, if you will, by the king of, of the northern kingdom of Israel. And he wanted Jehoshaphat and his, his army to come fight with them against their enemies. Jehoshaphat agreed. And the king got word from, from Isaiah that he was going to die in the battle. The king of Israel got, got word. Well, So what does he do? He disguises himself. And tells Jehoshaphat to be the one who parades himself as the king. Thinking that Jehoshaphat will be recognized as the king of Israel and would be killed. And, um, but see, God in his sovereignty can take care of somebody even when they disguise themselves. And so an arrow was shot up in the air uh, randomly and it came down and killed the king of Israel. Uh, but Jehoshaphat made a poor decision in all that to trust that man, but but as a result of that, he again came back to the Lord. He was a good king. He trusted in the Lord. And, and so we see him um, turning his heart back completely to the Lord. And then we come to this time when, when these three groups of people, the Moabites, the Ammonites, and, uh, and then I, I believe they were the Edomites, these Mayanites, they were actually from Edom. And they were coming against the southern kingdom. So that's the situation that we find ourselves in. Jehoshaphat's afraid. Have you ever been afraid of the circumstances you're in? Have you ever been in fear of what's happening or what's going to happen? Maybe it's times of uncertainty. Maybe the, the way things are looking and going for you are not favorable and you just can't see how this is ever going to turn out right. And there's fear that begins to hold on to you. Well, Jehoshaphat was afraid. 
turned his attention to seek the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. He called all the people under his, in his kingdom to fast and seek the face of God. And they went to the temple, and they prayed. And so what do we learn from the prayer to God? Three things I want to point out. First of all, in this prayer, he reflects on God's power. He does so through asking some questions. O oh Lord, the God of our fathers, art thou not God in the heavens? Aren't you the one who occupies the throne in heaven? Are you not the, the God who rules over all the kingdoms of the world? He's reflecting on who God is. He says, power and might are in thy hand so that no one can stand before you. He's reflecting. He's, he's remembering. He's, he's reiterating to himself, to the people, and he, in his prayer to God. Who is this God that we pray to? What has God done? Well, verse 7. Did you not, O our, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it to them forever? Without a foundational understanding of who God is, of His power and His authority as the sovereign of the universe, we would have no confidence in prayer. If you don't understand, if I don't understand who God is, this God we are praying to, His capabilities, that He is the one who has all power and all might, why on earth would we go to Him and trust Him for something we desperately need Him to do? If we don't believe He's powerful, all-powerful to do it. Now, we would say, yes, we believe that, but do we really believe that? Because what we really believe will cause us to act in light of that. Obviously, Jehoshaphat needed to remind himself because these enemies caused him to be afraid. <laughs> Fear is evidence of a lack of faith. That's just the reality. We need to be aware of it. This knowledge of God emboldens our faith as we pray. And again, we have a model for us. You know, sometimes when we look to, to, to do something like this, fasting and praying, right? We say, okay, well, if I'm supposed to pray while well, I'm not supposed to be, I'm not doing that thing, if they say I give up a meal, I'm going to pray. What do I... That's a half hour, an hour of time. That I, do I just say, okay, God, I want you to, I'm going to ask you to help me with this situation. And then what do you do? That like takes 10 seconds, right? What do you do for the, the other 30 minutes or, or hour? What, what, you know, what do we do in that time? Well, again, we look at these model prayers. We see they didn't just say, God, help us with our enemy. There's a process of prayer. When we seek the face of God, it always begins by 
acknowledging who this God is we're, we're, we're praying to. So often, we have to get ourselves in a right frame of mind before we even make a request. We've got to get our hearts right. And this is part of this process. And so Jehoshaphat is reflecting on the power of God because this knowledge of God is emboldening his faith and the faith of the people who are hearing this prayer. And so I encourage you, in that time that you spend with God, spend some of that time reflecting on who God is. Read some scriptures. Reflect on who He is. Re re remember in the, in, and recall back to God, God, thank you that this is who you are. Thank you that you are almighty God. And you are capable of this situation. This situation that seems overwhelming to me is nothing to you. You have all authority. You can command. You can speak a word, and it will be. So we remind ourselves. We reflect on God's power. Secondly, he remembers God's promise. He remembers the word of God and the commitment that was made. In verses 8 and 9, he's talking about this sanctuary, this temple that they built that was then dedicated to God in chapter 6 and 7 of Second Chronicles. And he says in verse 9 here, should evil come upon us, this is what, what they said, should evil come upon us, the sword or judgment or pestilence or famine, we will stand before this house and before thee and cry to thee in our distress. And you will hear and deliver us. You will hear and deliver us. Well, you go back to chapter 6 of Second Chronicles. And you see this is this incident where Solomon, after the temple was built, he's dedicating it to the Lord and asking the Lord for his presence to dwell in this tent, even or in this temple, even though he knows that you can't God, the God of the universe cannot be contained in a building. He's asking God to make special provision with this place. That when God's people come to this place and pour their heart out to him, that he will hear and answer their prayers. That was their desire. And he says, no matter what we do, if we sin against you and we come and we ask for forgiveness, will you hear us and will you forgive our sins? And he goes through this whole thing from, from verse 12 all the way down to the end of the chapter. He offers this prayer. And then in chapter 7, beginning at verse 12, God answers. Let me read chapter 7, verses 12 through 16. The Lord appeared to Solomon at night and said to him, I've heard your prayer. What an incredible thing. How many times have we prayed and wondered, did God even hear me? Does God, does God know what's really going on? I mean, we think these things, right? Theologically, we know God knows everything. But we often wonder, in our humanity. And God comes to Solomon and says, I've heard your prayer. And I've chosen this place for myself as the house of sacrifice. If I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, and if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people and my people who are called by my name, they humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. And I will hear from heaven. 
forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. And my eyes shall be opened and my ears attentive to the prayer offered in this place. For now I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. What an incredible promise God gave to Solomon and to the nation of Israel. If you come to this place, seek me earnestly, humbly, confessing your sins. I will hear. Hear, I will, I will forgive and I will heal. My presence is here. You know, we're told as believers where God's presence dwells? Inside of us. The Holy Spirit is here. We are the temple of God. God's presence is here perpetually. He's here in us. And we're told in Romans 8 that Jesus is in heaven constantly making intercession for us. He's praying for us, for our well-being and for our spiritual well-being for sure. And we have the assurance of knowing that we have a hearing with the one who has come to live inside of us, making our bodies a temple. Jehoshaphat was holding on to this promise. They've come, and they're standing there, just as he said, if you stand before this house, the whole nation is standing there. And they prayed. We need to take hold of God's word, God's promises. We need to bring those promises into our, our time in prayer with God. And I would ask you as you're embarking on this to ask God to give you maybe one particular truth from His Word that you can hold on to. Maybe it's pertinent to whatever the thing is you're seeking God, God's face for. But one truth, obviously in the context, holding on to that one truth. I'll give you a couple examples. When, when God called me into ministry, I was, uh, I was singing a song. I was at, at camp I worked at. I was singing a chorus that we, we sang. And it, it comes right out of 1 Peter 5, uh, verse 7. I cast all my cares upon you. I lay all my burdens down at your feet. And any time that I don't know what to do, I will cast all my cares upon you. This is what I was singing. And it was in that moment, those moments, that God spoke to my heart and called me serve him as a pastor. And that truth from 1 Peter 5, verses 6, 7, and 8, it says, humble yourselves before the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you, casting all your anxiety upon him, for he cares for you. And be on the alert. For the enemy roams around like a, like a roaring lion, looking for those he will devour. And every time Throughout years of, of pastoral ministry, when I, have, when I have allowed fear or anxiety to well up, when I felt the, the, the burden of ministry overwhelming, always 
can come back to that truth. God, you say in your word. In the very context in which Peter is calling his, the, the elders to shepherd the, the flock of God among you, that very context, God, you place this truth in my heart at that very moment, reassuring me that you will always be there, that I don't have to carry this burden. See, when I'm overwhelmed, it's because I'm trying to do it in my own strength. And God's saying, cast that concern on me. I care about this way more than you do. I care for the people that you are caring for way more than you do. Lay that anxiety on me. And God has always been faithful to take that off my shoulders and remind me that this is His work. When I was, uh, when I had resigned from Greencastle uh, Bible, um, I did not have anything uh, before me for income uh, because I am considered self-employed by the, the government. I can't get unemployment. And so we walked this journey uh, kind of trusting God. We knew that I just could, couldn't keep going with the situation as it was. As I'm, I'm, I'm coming before the Lord and reading through the Scripture in my, my regular reading schedule, I'm just asking God for encouragement, for help, for how, how am I going to provide for my family? You know? And there was, again, there was, a, it was money that, you know, when I, I gave a, a notice and, and they were to, to give me money. So God, God was taking care of that, but I, I did not ha know what the future was going to look like. God, as I'm reading through Psalm 37, verse 25, left off the page. And David says in that verse, I've been, I, I, I've been young and now I'm old. But I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his descendants begging for bread. When I read that, it's as if God was impressing that truth upon my heart saying, don't worry, I will take care of you and your family. You are my child. I will never leave your descendants begging for bread. I take it up from, from that time in prayer and just was so excited for what God had in store, having no idea that just a short time later, Cornerstone Bible Church would, would come into existence. We gotta hold on to truth from God's word. We are desperately seeking God. Hold on to it. Remember God's promises, God's word. Thirdly, he requests God's provision after he has reflected on God's power and he's remembering God's truth, God's promises. Then he requests God's provision. He says, God, here's the situation. Here's our dilemma. Here are our people the same people that when we were coming through the wilderness and getting the, about to come into the promised land, that, that you did not let us invade them. You caused us to go around them because they wouldn't let us pass through their land. But we went around. We spared them. And now how do they repay us? Well, they're coming to try and drive us out of the land that you've given us. That's a dilemma. Here's our request. God, deal with them. Judge them. 
We are your people. <laughs> Our dilemma is your dilemma. And then the humility. But we can't do this. We're powerless. And we don't know what to do. Man, have I prayed that prayer before. <laughs> God, I have no idea what I'm doing. I don't know what the next step is. I don't know how I'm supposed to proceed. I'm inadequate for the task at hand in my own strength. How important it is that we come to that place. Again, what did God say? If my people who are called by my name will what? Humble themselves and pray. And earnestly, right? Seek my face. And turn from their wicked ways. We've got to be open to God saying something to us in this time. You know, we may be seeking God for Him to do something somewhere else in someone else's life, and God very well may say to you and I, hey, there's something first we need to deal with in your life. I've called you to this fast for something more than what you think. I remember when I, I went away, um, it was uh, the 20th anniversary of my first time uh, being a pastor, and uh, I went away to the camp where God called me, and I spent three days at that camp. It's in, it was in September, uh, three days fasting and praying, and, uh, and I thought that I was going there to ask God to give me clarity about about a building for Cornerstone. But it became very clear in that first probably half hour of prayer when I got there. God impressed upon me I wasn't there to hear from him about a building. He had something else. Something for me personally. Something that he wanted to speak to me about through his word and through just that time. I was all excited to come before God and earnestly seek Him. And I, I anticipated that when, after that three days, I would be able to come back to the leadership team and say, and I really believe God is giving us this direction for a building. And that wasn't the case. So beware. It may not be what you think this is going to be that God is going to do, but be open to what it is that God wants to do. And look at their resolve. We're powerless against this multitude. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. This is what's going on. We don't know what to do. But we're not going to keep our eyes on this. Our eyes are on you. Because you're the great and awesome God. You're the one who has power and might. No one can stand before you. We are your people. This is your inheritance. This is your issue. You do something. <laughs> right? God, you are the one in charge. Our eyes are on you. Well, secondly, we see the answer from God. Verses 14 to 17. He speaks through his servant who comes to them and said, listen, verse 15, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, this is what the Lord says. 
Do not fear or be dismayed. Do not fear or be dismayed. So I ask you, what is causing you fear? Is it the fear that this loved one that you, you uh, have in your life who's not walking with Jesus is never going to come to the Lord? Are you afraid uh, of, uh, that, that, that this journey they're on is, is the end? Are you afraid this circumstance is going to mean difficulty for you for the rest of your life? Are you afraid of the circumstance? Are you afraid of what that will mean for your life? What are you afraid of? As I said before, fear is the opposite of faith. It's not intended to be an indictment. It's simply the reality of the issue. When we experience fear, it is the warning light that we are not trusting God. That's what that is. So rather than say, to beat yourself up and say, man, I just don't have enough faith, no, see it for what it is. Like the dash light on your vehicle is letting you know there's something under the engine that needs to be addressed. There's something here. So come before the Lord. Hear Him say to you, do not be afraid. Do not fear or be dismayed. Because if God really is the God we say He is, <clears throat> Nothing to fear. Perfect love casts out fear. <clears throat> Second thing he says is, the battle is not yours, but God's. The battle is not yours. Have you been striving in this battle in your own strength? Have you seen this situation as something you've got to solve? You're trying to change the heart of someone else <laughs> through your words or your actions. This is not your job or mine. That's God's job. What would it look like? What would it look like to let God fight this battle? Think about that. That was not, not ours, it's God's. And then third thing he says is, verse 17, stand and see the salvation of the Lord. Stand and see the salvation of the Lord. They were to be present, not passive. They were to show up. But God would show them his deliverance. Sometimes we think, well, if God's going to do it, then I can just sit back and relax and not do anything. No, God is calling us to be present. He called them to go, to meet the enemy, to face them, and yet they weren't to fight. This is not a call to passivity. It's a call to be present. Stand and see the deliverance our God. See what God is going to do. I tell you, I, 
Val and I was just talking about this the other day. It's like we feel a sense of anticipation about this, this, these next three weeks. I know a few of you others have, have mentioned things to me. It's like, man, it's just, there's an anticipation here. What is God going to do? I don't know. I would encourage you to keep a journal. The things you talk to God about. The things that God is impressing upon you from His Word. The ways in which God begins to move. The answers you see to the prayers you pray. The answers to things you didn't pray but didn't know God wanted to deal with but He's working in it. What is God teaching you? Write these things down. You'll be excited to hear from one another how God has worked. See, when we seek the Lord earnestly, we are facing the enemy with the confidence of God. But when we do not pray, we are fearing the enemy and the cowardice of our flesh. Let's seek Him earnestly in the confidence of God. Do not fear, be dismayed. The battle is yours, not God. Stand and see the salvation of the Lord. This was God's answer to them. So what was their response to God? Now remember this, the answer that God gave them was one thing. The enemy hasn't been defeated yet. Okay, keep that in mind. And what is their response to God's answer even before the enemy is defeated? Verse 18, Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground and all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. They worshiped the Lord. They did it a couple different ways. One, in bowing in humility before God. And the singers stood up. To praise the Lord, verse 19, with a very loud voice. I don't know about you, but whenever I am, whenever I'm really excited about something God has done, I can't keep it inside. There are times when we're singing, when when the words on the, the, the wall are are just speaking to me about who God is, and, and it just is so relevant for what's going on in my heart at that moment. And I, I just want to sing to the, the, the top of my lungs. And I'm really hoping that the sound person doesn't have this thing on when I'm doing that, right? Because uh, you guys would be hearing that a lot. But th this is indication they believed God. They bowed in humility and gratitude to God for what He has told them. And now they're standing and they're praising God for who He is. And then they rose early the next morning and they go out. And what does Jehoshaphat say? He says, Listen to me, O Judah. Verse 20, inhabitants of Jerusalem, put your trust in the Lord your God and you will be established. 
Put your trust in his prophets and succeed. Believe God. Another form of worship is encouraging each other in this journey. You're encouraging to trust the Lord and to give thanks. End of verse 21, give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness is everlasting. Especially when the circumstance seems dire. We're seeking, we're seeking the Lord for this very thing. The enemy wants to discourage you and I in this. He wants to say, ah, you know what, this is too hard. And you have no guarantee that God's even going to hear or do anything about this. So, you know, why are you putting yourself through this? Do you think God's going to hear you more because you're, you're starving your body? Because you're, I mean, he's going to try and do everything he can to discourage you and plant these thoughts in our head. We need to encourage each other to keep going. Part of this. And then, I love this, verse 22, when they began singing and praising God, the Lord said, ambush them. It wasn't until they demonstrated their trust in God by believing Him at His word. That what He said He would do, He was going to do. They believed it. And they were rejoicing and praising God for the deliverance that hadn't come yet. And once they started worshiping Him, things started happening. I think there's a principle here that often God does not begin moving until we, we trust Him. We demonstrate that trust. They worship the Lord. Obedience is the outward display of faith. Believe God at His Word. And they lived in light of that. Not only that, but then they reaped the spoils. Verse 24 and 25, after <laughs> they came and they saw what God had done. And this is the, what did God do? So here are these three armies, right, working together to come against Judah. Two of them turn on the third one and kill them, and then they turn on each other and they all die. They were so confused about who the enemy was, they were turning on one another. God confused them, brought dismay in their midst. God does not need you and I to fight his battle. How many times do we think, well, if I don't say this to this person, if I don't do this, I'm sure there was someone in the camp saying, gosh, that, really? We're not supposed to do anything. And guys are just going to wipe them all out. We're not even supposed to pick up a sword. Trust God. Seek His face. Praise and worship Him for who He is and what His Word says. And just trust Him. Believe Him at His Word. There are times when God says, I want you to say this to this person. Right? I, you, he, he uses us. But don't think He needs you and I to do it. If He calls you to it, walk into it trusting the Lord. 
They reaped the spoils. They saw what God had done. And they benefited from what God had done. So let's trust God for whatever He's going to do. That it's going to be for the good. And let's trust Him for how that will impact our lives. Thirdly, they blessed the Lord. Three days gathering the spoils. And on the fourth day, they assembled in this valley and they blessed the Lord, and they called the valley the Valley of Barakah, which is the Valley of Blessing. They renamed this place so that everyone in generations to come who come to this place, this is the Valley of Blessing. Well, why, do, why is it called the Valley of Blessing? Let me tell you what God did here. And they returned to Jerusalem with joy and celebration, with harps and lyres and trumpets. They were praising God after God had given them deliverance. And they experienced rest, peace, for God gave them rest on all sides. Let me, again, let me encourage you to keep a journal. Note, note the things that God is doing. The things that you pray. The, the way God answers. The way God is speaking to you through His Word and directing your thoughts in these things. Because apparently, as we, we saw last week, apparently God takes notice in a special way, when we earnestly seek Him through prayer and fasting. The same way that Jesus said, where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. We all know that when we pray by ourselves, He's there. But Jesus said, when two or more are gathered, there's something different about that. When I get to heaven, I'm going to ask Him, what did you mean? Why was that different? Maybe I'll ask him about why fasting is such, such a, an issue. And I, I think part of it is that we, we set aside the appetites that we just not just give into, but we indulge. And by setting those aside, we begin to develop a greater hunger for God. So keep a journal and so that you can come back to that. You can share that. Maybe with your kids, with grandkids, with, with one another in the, in the context of the body of Christ, with, with people that don't know Christ yet. It's part of your testimony of, of, God, of who God is and what God does. And as we pray, let's follow the example of this man of God, Jehoshaphat, who reflected on God's power who God is, remembered God's promises, and then made his request for God's provision. Would you join me in prayer?
our gracious Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Lord, as we begin this journey, we, we ask first and foremost that your name would be elevated, would be hallowed, would be honored and glorified into our lives. May your kingdom come, Lord. May you use us in our prayers and our earnestly seeking your face to advance your kingdom purposes, not only in our midst, but throughout this world. I don't even know how that's going to happen, Lord. But this is your work. We ask for that. That your will would be accomplished here on earth as it is in heaven. In our lives. Through our lives. Will be done. Even if it is different from what we have set out to pray about, may your will be done. Lord, give us this day and these days our daily bread. Give us what we need to sustain us, O oh Lord. We are willfully choosing, Father, to go into a time depriving ourselves of something that we have been used to having. So God, we ask that you would supply for us what we need in this time of seeking you. God, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Oh God, make us keenly aware of our sins. We might humble ourselves and pray and seek your face and turn from our wicked ways. And Lord, we ask as David did in Psalm 19 when he said, Acquit me of hidden faults. Lord, there are things that we do that are offensive to you. We don't even know we're doing it. So, Lord, acquit us of hidden sins. And we also pray as David prayed. Keep your servant from presumptuous sins. Oh God, that we would not willfully choose disobedience. And Lord, I ask that you would lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. May your Holy Spirit lead our steps in this journey. Well, we, we know it's going to be a, a battle. We know the enemy doesn't like what we're doing. So, God, we ask for your Holy Spirit to lead our steps. We're walking into a, a minefield. And so direct our steps. We might avoid those things which would take us out. And won't you deliver us? Deliver us from things the enemy has a hold on us. Maybe it is food. Maybe we're addicted to food, Lord. Maybe we're addicted to something else. Maybe it's social media. Maybe it's, it's um, some other substance of some kind, form or another. God, maybe there's something that through those things we're not even aware of has a hold on us. And I know many people who, who cannot 
when they get a notification on their phone, cannot not look at it, cannot not respond to it, no matter what's going on. Lord, it has such a hold on people. It distracts us throughout life. But so many of us are, without even realizing it, addicted to food. We've got to eat way more than we need. And God, I confess to you, that is true of me. I need deliverance. Thine is the kingdom. Thine is the power. And thine is the glory forever and ever.